Good evening and welcome back to Ulcerative Colitis Motherhood and Me. I'm Ulcerative Colitis Mama and I just want to say a big apology to uh, all listeners out there, um, any any that follow my podcast and associated platforms. Um, I took a bit of a lengthy absence out of um, posting anything online um, with the exception of a blog post that I wrote last week or the week before. Um, so basically the last few weeks have been particularly challenging, um, basically been hit with sort of revelation after revelation essentially. So, um, so tonight's episode, I'm going to, uh, speak about that. Um, so before I go into that episode, I just want to, um, stick a trigger warning in place. Um, as most of my episodes contain, um, content referring to mental ill health, um, it's also going to look at grief, loss, um, basically all the all the sort of the the feelings that have churned up um, in the last few weeks, um, and you know obviously I don't want anybody to feel triggered by that. So listener discretion is always advised. Um, so without further ado, let's get started with tonight's episode. So it, it's quite a difficult subject to kind of leap into, um, unlike a lot of other subjects that I discuss here on my podcast. And, um, and I find that, that this is probably why I, I post it as a blog post, because I was able to sit in front of a computer screen for quite some time while I thought about how best to kind of structure what I need to say. So um, for those who haven't read my blog post... Um, it's basically um, a few weeks ago, I had a phone call out the blue from my mum, which is quite unusual for her to phone me in the evenings, um, you know, it, and it usually gets you kind of your nerves, you know, especially if you have anxiety, it kind of does get you back up a little bit when you think, oh God, why is my mum ringing me this late in the evening? Anyway, um, she had been out for lunch. It was been quite a normal day. Um, she's been out for lunch with an old school friend of hers and basically she she asked me if I was alone and I said well you know big G's in work little G's in bed you know I was um, sort of um, anticipating the arrival of our puppy that was coming the following day even though I was self-isolating with Covid so I was quite stressed out about that um, watching a crappy film on TV just, you know, just kind of a, a standard evening really um apart from you know obviously having covid and um she sort of said you know i've I've got some sad news so i was like oh god thinking it was the cat now my mum and dad have had cats since you know for since i was at uni um and he's quite elderly now and he's not as fast as he used to be and he's not as keen as he used to be and he hadn't been well so that was my quick sort of jump to that really I just associated that you know possibly something had happened to the cat and um, she said your dad's died and she said my, she, she addressed it was my, my birth father and she, she referred to him by his first name P So I was like, what? And she said, 
I'm so sorry, I didn't know how best to tell you. Um, I've been sat here for hours thinking, do I phone you, do or you not? I realised you, you know, you're self-isolating, so I couldn't be there with you to tell you, but I didn't want you to find out from somebody else. It turns out my, my birth father died on the 26th of February, and the 18th of March, when my mum phoned me, was the day of his funeral. His funeral had been at noon that day. Now, I have a very, had a very complex relationship with my father in the last few years. Mainly in the last 10 years, but for, furthermore in the last six, um, with, you know, with um, little G's arrival and things. And bearing in mind, he is one of six children. So he has four brothers and a sister. Two of those live in the same town, or the same county, as where I live. One of the brothers lived with him. And yet, I find out weeks later. I had no communication. I, I had... It was a very difficult one, really, and I, I'm, I'm not in any shape or form kind of pitying myself. Um, obviously, communication is a two-way street. However, when little G came into this world, which, is, which was basically the catalyst for me beginning these social, um, uh, social media platforms, I was very, very ill. I struggled with birth trauma. The last few weeks of my pregnancy weren't particularly great. Um, I had a couple of scares and things. I had birth trauma. I had been, um, I'd, I'd gone through the mill, shall we say, with the colitis, with postnatal depression, with um, being belittled by healthcare professionals <clears throat> These people who I see as my equals, as a healthcare professional myself, and being dismissed and having to fight to get a diagnosis, to get treatments, to get to recover. So there was a lot of this going on. I did not hear from my birth father for the entirety of my pregnancy from when I was about 18 weeks old. 18 weeks old, 18 weeks pregnant, pardon me, till six weeks after little G had been born. No communication, not a text message, phone call, nothing. So you can imagine I was not in a great place six weeks post-natal. To have a text from him to say he was disappointed in me for not informing him of little G's birth. That was quite a damaging statement. I appreciate he probably was a little bit pissed off. However, there was a lot going on. And I was quite short with my response. Um, because he'd shown no interest in becoming a grandfather and... It, it, it wasn't a good time. Anyway, words were said, but, so this was 
the, the July, so, you know, six weeks after little G was born. So I'm not in a good place. I'm sleep deprived. I'm having investigations because I'm obviously having these colitis symptoms that I didn't know were colitis at the time. Um, I'm recovering from a particularly unpleasant experience of birth. I, you know, uh, Big G's gone back to work. I'm quite isolated. Um, I'm not in a good place. Um, so after a few exchanges of um, firm text messages, I agreed to meet him at his house a few months later. And we were basically going to have it out. I was going to give him 20 plus years of feelings and thoughts and anger and resentment and um, abandonment issues and feeling like a pawn in some sort of game and property rather than his child. And anyway, we'd gone... I'd got there, um, sat down, we had a talk and it actually ended up quite amicably. And, you know, it, it, I'd initially gone there and I think my emotions are very, very high at the time. Um, I'd gone there to basically end contact with him because we just started to drift apart from about 2012 and this was now 2016. And we actually did... Um, you know, sounded out, I expect, you know, and I sort of said to him, look, you know, you must realise that this X, Y and Z have happened. And he seemed to understand. And we sort of left it on that, okay, we'll meet up at some time. Now, uh, without sounding, you know, um, like I'm sort of um, being the horrible, resentful daughter and things, um, I was never intending for little G to meet him at his house on the account of his house was not environmentally suitable for a baby. Um, it was unclean. It was, um, it, it was infested it was a dirty house um more so since my grandmother who lived there had passed and sort of the housekeeping was no longer sort of an, on the agenda for my father and my uncle so you know we'd sort of said okay we'll meet up for a coffee sometime and that was that you know and it was okay we seemed to reach like an adult kind of level ground and over time, sort of the, the the cards and text messages became less and less frequent, and that was on his part as well as mine. But I'd never closed the door fully with him. It had just been a case of we were just very different people. My life had changed dramatically. I was now a mother. Um, I you know, and I had responsibilities. I also had a lot of health problems that I hadn't had previously. And I was working through some stuff and it, it took a good three years of therapy 
to get me to a level of acceptable kind of recovery uh, from the, the emotional and psychological damage that I'd endured. And I had to kind of put up barriers to protect myself. Um, I was very vulnerable. And he wasn't good for me. He wasn't a good part of my recovery. And there was a lot of trauma there that I'd revisited during my trauma counselling that didn't help that situation. And subsequently, um, we haven't had any interaction since about early 2018. And um, so that a lot of time's gone gone by, um, and you know it. He had my address. He had my phone number. And I know, again, communication is a two way street. And I'm quite a stubborn person as well. And maybe in hindsight, maybe I maybe should have taken the first step into speaking to him again however maybe too much time had passed who knows but um but still it was still pretty devastating to find out find out that I'd lost a parent to find out that I'd lost a parent three weeks before I actually knew um I'd not had any inclination if he'd been ill or if it had been sudden or anything, but to to cap it all off was obviously his funeral was that day, um, and obviously having had COVID, I probably couldn't well I couldn't have attended anyway. But nobody told me, and when um. When I did a bit of digging, I found his obituary in a local newspaper. And my name had been omitted from it. There was no mention that he had children. There was no mention I was his daughter. There was the mention of his siblings and that how, how what a wonderful uncle he was. But no mention of his daughter. Um, or grandson um, but then he'd never um, had contact with little G um, and you know and I never denied him that it was just as time got on and it, it, he, little G's too young to understand at this moment and I think it would completely traumatise him to change his to up upend his life at this age I feel that when he's older and more able to engage in adult conversation I will um obviously explain to him um and I realize it probably sounds like what a horrible daughter that I am what a horrible person that I am because I've effectively excluded that person from my life as well as my son's. However, there is a lot of history there. 
and probably too much of history to kind of condense into a reasonably sized podcast episode. But as I said, our relationship is complex. Um, He and my mum split up when I was three months old. Um, There was suggestion that there had been some... um, But what had capped it off really was he'd hit my brother. Now, my brother wasn't his son biologically. um, But he, nevertheless, he marked him. And that was kind of the final step um, for my mum. She'd come out of an abusive marriage with my brother's dad. She'd admittedly met my dad on the rebound. And he was good for her. He helped her with her confidence. He was like a hope for her. And she did love him at one point. And they they had a short marriage, they had me. And then the cracks started to show. The misogyny, the narrow-mindedness, his lack of work ethic. He was out of work a lot. He didn't help with any domestic duties around the house because he, in his mind he felt that that was the woman's role. He um, didn't really engage with my brother as being his stepson, um, which my mum really struggled with. There was an obvious favouritism there. And I felt very guilty for that, finding that out years later. Um, even though I didn't, you know, obviously I wasn't aware I was a baby. Um, but I felt very, very guilty about that. Also, the relationship I had with my dad was that I would go to his every Saturday. Um, he didn't drive. He'd pick me up on the bus from my grandmother's. He would walk me back to his house where he lived with my grandmother and my uncle and it would be between sort of half past 11 in the morning till about five o'clock at night because then he would drop me off and then he'd go to the pub and that was our relationship for the best part of 20 25 years um unless he had something more important on like a football game or a trip out with the boys, or a holiday, um, or a hangover. Um, And I enjoyed going to my dad's on a Saturday because I would get possibly a new toy. Um, I'd probably get sweets and I'd probably get something fast food and disgusting for for my lunch. Um, And, you know, it was very much like a cupboard love thing. It was... I loved going because I got something out of it. Um, it made me spoiled. It made me believe I could get whatever I wanted if I just asked him. And this kind of went on into my teens as well. Uh, where he, you know, and credit where it's due, he was always financially able to support me. Um, but it was at what cost? It was... He never disciplined me, he never taught me, he never 
sat down with me and did homework. He never read with me. He never, you know, he, he never really parented me. I remember once um, I had a bit of a falling out with um, two of my cousins who used to come quite regularly to, uh, to their house. So my auntie and uncle could get on with shopping and doing various things. And one of them upset me. And he walked in the room and he went, why are you crying? In, in that tone, sort of quite like... And I was just like, well, well, you know, my cousin's just been really horrible to me. And it was like, he was like, he just couldn't deal with it. Um, I always felt uncomfortable if I had to stay there overnight, particularly as I got into my teens. And I don't really know why. And I don't know if it's because I didn't really know him that much or I don't know. And I, and a lot of the, the counselling I've had, you know, and trying to unpick those uncomfortable feelings. And I did, I just didn't like staying there. I didn't sleep. I didn't, I remember staying there for a few days once. Um, I think it was like Whit Week when I was about 13. So I was too young to obviously stay at home. My own I was too young to be babysat by my brother. Um, especially for the, that many consecutive days and obviously there was nobody else to have me and I didn't I didn't shower the entire time I was there because I was so scared somebody was going to walk in to the bathroom I was I, I, I don't know I've never felt like that before and I, I've stayed at other people's houses and aunts and uncles and other people and I've never never felt that uncomfortable and um and it probably is the lack of relationship that I had with him that I didn't feel that comfortable being there and I always felt more comfortable with my, my nana being around having that woman like a, a female you know sort of companion there and so we we did have a quite a bizarre relationship really it wasn't a, a typical father-daughter relationship I guess it was just kind of it kind of got to a stage where it was like I felt like I, I had to go there but then as I got older and I learned to drive and you know I, I had university and I got a job and I worked weekends and then I moved in with Big G and we went on holidays and things like that and we adult life kind of took over the the visits I made there got less and less frequent particularly after I lost my grandmother because I didn't feel so tied or committed to going there um but still I didn't hate the guy either um but it, it was very difficult to kind of find out that he died in such a way that I had like no knowledge, no, nobody had tried to track me down. And bearing in mind, one of his brothers is actually a retired police officer, quite a high ranking police officer. And you think, well, you know, he'd pull a few strings if he really wanted to get out in touch, surely. Um, and the, the difficult thing is I can't grieve. I can't, 
there are times I'll sit there and I and a, like a pleasant memory will come. You know, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. You know, I remember going down to the local river by, by where he lived, and just throwing stones, in the water and just, loving it. Um, or spending time with my cousins, or, you know, just. Things like that, really. Um, going to the socials with his work because they had like family days where kids were invited and stuff and you know that it there was a lot a lot of good there as well but I think it took to becoming a parent myself to realise that it wasn't always about things like that it was about the hard stuff too about the hard work that you have to put into and um It's, I felt angry initially, and I do feel a bit of anger there, because I think, well, why was I not important enough to be told? And knowing him, he probably had a massive turnout at the funeral, where a lot of people knew that I existed. And I, I feel like they'll be looking around going, where the hell is she? Why isn't she here? How dare she not turn up? But I wasn't, I wasn't informed. I didn't even know. And it was just so sly. And that's the thing that I've been really struggling with the last few weeks is, why? Was I that bad? Was I that horrendous a daughter? Was I that, that, that ostracised from that side of my family that I didn't even have the right to say goodbye? to reconcile, to make peace, to help. You know, if he'd been ill, I would have been there in a flash. Of course I would. Of course I would. But I was denied all of that. And whether that was a, a gross oversight or it was intentional, I don't know. And perhaps I will never know. But the only way I could try and gained some answers was actually by sitting down and writing to three of his siblings um, slightly different wording of the letters but still I hand wrote three letters three sides of A4 just asking you know and trying not to encroach on their grief but by just saying you know I'm not looking for a fight but I just want to know what happened why and why was I not included in the obituary? And why was I not informed of any of it? So I posted those letters today. I sat most of Friday afternoon here in the kitchen um, because the puppy is particularly quite needy. And um, with her sleeping on my lap, and I, I wrote out three, three letters. Um, and I hope they get to the recipients. Um, it was quite interesting, really, because I've been sat and talking to the girls and work a, a lot about it because it's obviously quite hard to kind of thrust that from your mind when you're dealing with people that are themselves dying or very, very ill. Um, and unfortunately, our patients are getting younger. So a lot of it's been quite triggering. And... 
it's always in the forefront of my mind. And at the same time, because I'm not able to process his loss and grieve as a normal person would, I'm finding that I'm having to kind of put it in a box temporarily and then unpacking it again later. And then there'll be times I feel like a wave of sadness and anger and hurt and then it kind of dissipates and I feel quite normal again. And I know that's not, no, you know, I don't know. I'd, that's probably not a normal response. But then I, I haven't had that closure. And I've been denied that, whether intentionally or, like I said, by some massive tactless oversight. So anyway, speaking to one of my colleagues and she said, you know, it's really easy to find somebody's address online, especially if they've owned a business or they have um, shares or anything in, in companies and things. So she said, provided you know their name and roughly the area where they live, type it into a search engine, which I did. And I found three of them, the exception of one of my uncles who lives abroad. But I found the addresses for two of my uncles that don't live in the area and my auntie. Um, so I appealed to the ones that I felt close to as a child and it it was the three younger ones so my 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 dad was the fifth of six children so I appealed to my auntie who was younger and my two uncles that was next up from him in the line and I was quite you know and I <laughs> I, I wrote and I wrote from the heart and I just, the crux of it was, I'm not looking for a fight. I just want to know answers and I hope you can help me with this. So I'm able to move on and grieve appropriately and to seek some closure. And, you know, and it explained, you know, obviously what I'm explaining now that the, the, the relationship is quite complex and complicated and wasn't a conventional relationship and life got in the way I'd been ill not that I needed to validate my feelings but I felt that you know at least if I explain from my perspective that maybe they can explain from theirs so I'm going to be on tenter hooks I imagine for the next couple of weeks you know whether they reply or not um you know and I left it quite open and I just sort of said like you know if you wish to respond you know that's great um, but if you don't wish to, I respect your wishes and I, will no, I won't contact you again. And um, there are two ways, possibly three, this could go. One, I could be contacted and it be quite abusive, aggressive, dismissive and hurtful, of which I'll have some form of answer, however hard it may be. Um, the second could be a response, uh, a, an adult response, a kind-ish response. Um, the third could be no response at all. So that's going to be hard because now it's out of my hands. 
and we know me uh, anxiety loves to be in control and I'm no longer in control of this narrative now so like I said I posted those letters there's no going back and the only thing is as my dear mum would say you can only regret the things you haven't done and this is something I needed to do um, however much it's going to hurt I just you know I can accept that maybe I can be ostracised from that part of my family um, but I haven't done anything that terrible to warrant being denied the chance to make peace and say goodbye to a parent however estranged we were so you know let's see what time holds really I know a lot of people will be listening to this episode and thinking what an awful daughter I must be to effectively exclude him from my life for the latter few years. But as I've learned over time, I had to make that decision. And I don't regret that decision because in order for me to move forward in my recovery, I couldn't have had, I couldn't have had any toxic influences in my life and unfortunately, he was one of them. He... There had always been... issues in our relationship where it wasn't conventional. It wasn't a conventional father-daughter relationship or parent-child relationship. It was... He was... He was very popular he had a lot of friends he had the gift of the gab he was very popular where he worked his name was quite well known in the local area he knew everybody um but he lacked some qualities too um he could be misogynistic he could make racist comments and he could be extremely homophobic as well and that was not some that wasn't somebody I wanted in my life. I couldn't... I struggled to deal with it when I was well, so I wouldn't have dealt with it at all during my recovery, and I had to kind of cut the toxicity out for that time being with a view to re re revisit it later. It was never a forever thing. It was, it was going to be... Time was going to heal that, and we were going to... You know, um, I'm not saying we would have been close, but I probably would have, you know, who knows? It's it, What if is a wonderful thing? Hindsight, all of it. Who knows? Um, maybe too much time had passed where it was sort of irretrievable, but I never shut that door. I always kept it open that one day that, you know, I would introduce little G to him and it would be okay. It would not be necessarily a close relationship, but it, it'd be some some kind of contact. Um, but while I was recovering from depression and um, the postnatal depression and things, 
I had a lot of intense therapy um, and the, the trauma counselling was incredibly intense and very, very painful to, to revisit and sort of dig up all those horrible, nasty feelings that had gone way back into sort of my formative years. And there were a few things from my relationship with him that kind of influenced those nasty, horrible feelings. Um, and it was kind of no secret that he was a misogynist. Um, whether he, he, he did it as a, like a, as a joke or whether it was he was a misogynist. Um, I remember as a kid uh, just watching football with him because that's pretty much what we did most Saturdays during football season was sit and watch the telly. Um, and I went through a bit of a tomboyish phase where I wanted to play football and I had all the kit and all the gear and no idea, as they say. And Because I think in hindsight that I wanted to have some common ground with him for him to think I was a cool daughter, you know, because I wasn't his son. And, um, and I, I often wonder if our relationship would have been different had, had I been born a boy, but, you know, we will never know. Anyway, so I'm watching the football game and it's um, just sort of seeing, like, you know, where they cut to footage of, like, the football managers on the sidelines sort of shouting and huffing and puffing and waving their arms around and... Um, and things like that. And I thought, do you know what? That'd be a pretty cool job to do. And you know, like your ambitions as a kid, they change like the, you know, the weather, don't they? they you you want to be something, you know, one week and something else another week. And uh, yeah, so a football manager, that's quite a good job, quite well paid. You, all you do is shout at people. Obviously, I didn't know the, um, you know, the ins and outs of anything and I certainly didn't have any football experience. So, you know, that would have been quite difficult. But he turns to me and says, you can't be a football manager. I was like, well, why not? Because you're a girl, he said. Because you're a girl. So already I'm at a disadvantage in his mind because I'm female. And that, that was quite cutting for an impressionable young woman. And that's a that's a core memory, a poor core memory, if ever there was one. So already he set me on the back foot because of my gender. Um, whereas I'd always been raised by my mum and stepdad, who I call dad, um, to basically, if you work hard enough for something, you can be whatever the hell you want to be. You know, you put the work in and you reap the benefits, you know. It's basically the world's your oyster. Go out there and kick ass. And that's kind of the, the how different those those family sort of values and beliefs and morals are so different on the two sides of the street, you know. Um, so that was kind of like a, a red flag moment. The second one was um, flicking through the music videos uh, one day, some years later, I'm in my teens, and I didn't have satellite TV. Um, 
at home because we couldn't afford it and the area where we lived probably didn't have good reception for it anyway. And um, so it was quite a bonus that I could only watch music videos at friends' houses or when I went to my dad's. And flicking through, and he, he used to hate it when he used to channel hop because I'd be like, oh, I don't like the song, I'm going on to the next one, you know. Um, and if anybody remembers the Eric Prids Call On Me video, yeah, that video, um, he makes me stop it on that channel. And yeah, the song's okay, it's quite catchy, whatever. He wasn't stopping it for the catchiness of the song, was he? Um, mainly to goggle at the very skimpy leotard wearing choreographer in it, no, dancer in it. I, her name escapes me, but we all know who I mean. And he says, he turns to me and says, cool, look at the arse on her. And I still feel quite sick saying it back. And I turned to him and I was quite fiery um, as a teenager, especially, especially with him, not so much at home. I'm, I was well behaved at home. But I also didn't have to put up with this shit either. And I said, who the hell do you think you're talking to? And he sort of looks at me as if to say, I'm the one with the problem. And he said, well, I'm just a red-blooded male. Look at her. And I was just but I'm your daughter. Would you... And just... It would be bad enough if I was his son and he turned and said that because what kind of impression is that setting on a young man? But then, equally, what does that tell him? What does that tell his teenage daughter about her worth as a woman, as a young woman, you know, how objectifying it was. And we did have a quite a row about that. And he didn't understand why I was so pissed off. <laughs> I said, you can't, you, you just don't, do you? You just don't. I don't even have to explain that one, you just don't. Um, so that was a very big turning point in my young life where I realised, oh, actually, this is not healthy. This is not a healthy way of viewing women to someone who has a teenage daughter. Um, and I was absolutely horrified and I still feel quite sick when I think about it because it's like that's not what you'd expect from a parent. Um, and it, it just, it became, it was less of a father-daughter relationship, more like we were kind of like, I don't know, we... It was almost like I had to go there to... You know, we, it, like I said, it was very complex. It wasn't the typical conventional relationship a parent should have with their child. It was quite, at times, uncomfortable, sort of case in point with those comments he made previously. And it just felt like more of a chore going there. Um, but I loved going there to see my nana, um, who sadly passed away in, 
2012, following a short illness. And that, again, was another turning point in our relationship where the main link, I suppose, for going there to visit was to see her more than him at times because he used to lie there hung over on the sofa because he'd been out on the lash the night before and it was like he'd barely engaged because he wasn't feeling great and, you know, he was still in his pyjamas and, you know, unwashed and just watching cricket or football or some other sport on TV and I was left to my own devices to kind of entertain myself, really. But I'd sit there for hours talking to my nana. She was an, an amazing woman. She she was so different for her generation. She she was a, an evacuee during the Second World War. Her house was bombed twice. She was from Salford. Um, she raised her siblings when her mum died quite young. She met my grandfather when she was in her mid to late 20s, which was quite unusual then. Um, and my great-grandfather disapproved because he was Irish. <laughs> um, she married at 29 and had her first child at 30 and then had her last child at 40. So that was quite unusual for somebody of her generation. And I could sit there and listen to her stories for hours. She was in the Women's Air Force. She... She was an amazing woman and very rarely listened to by anybody else. But I could sit there for hours and listen to her stories and talk to her. And we were quite close. So when she died, it was hard to visit the house because she lived with my, my dad and my uncle. But all her stuff was there. They'd not made any attempt to get rid of her her things like even her like her walking aids and her sort of like her the her aids for independent living things like that they're all still there like she was still there but not there if you know what I mean he my my dad refused to be her pallbearer on the account that he had a bad back but okay yeah you know people have health problems and things but I mean I would have worked, walked over hot coals, regardless of how bad my back was. And he showed no emotion at her funeral or at her death. He was quite matter-of-fact about it. And that might be, you know, just he may never have displayed his emotions very well, but it was... There was no hint of sadness... Whereas I've always been very much a very emotional person and wore my heart on my sleeve, which has done me no favours at times. But it was, it was just how cold and emotionally unavailable he seemed to be. He had a partner briefly for a couple of years when I was about 10. Um... And he ended things because she wanted more. She wanted to get married. And I really liked her. She would have been a good stepmother. But he didn't like that. He didn't want to commit. He didn't. And it broke her heart. And I never saw her again. And 
you know, it was... I guess maybe there was an element of narcissism there because it was somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault, never his. He, you know... I confronted him about some of the things that my mum had said in latter years. Bearing in mind, my mum never, ever spoke a word about him uh, negatively um, until I asked her outright when I was in my 20s. And the difference in the stories between my mum and him were poles apart. And I know for a fact my mum would never lie to me. But it was just his take on the story was completely downplayed to how my mum said. And I think one of the major deciding factors when she left him was that he'd struck my brother. And at the time, my brother was five. She's the same age as little G is now, a bit younger. To the point where it left a mark for a week on his face, where my mum couldn't take him to school because she feared that social services would get summoned. And he never admitted to that. He said to me, he should have heard what a shit he was being. as if that I'd accept that. So you can see why there are many reasons why I had to take a step back when I was recovering because that wasn't a good influence on my life. And he probably, if we had made peace or reconciled or got in contact again, I know I'd have kept him at arm's length because there are just too many bad things there that aren't good for for me or for little G or for the rest of my family. But still, he was my dad. He brought me into this world. He married my mum and had me. And for that short time that they were together, he made my mum happy. Um, except the latter months, obviously. And I still should have been informed, right? Whether it was his decision or or the family the family deciding that I wasn't important enough or to be considered to be to be contacted. To, to inform me. And I just think, what did I do so badly that, that warranted that? Was I that bad a person? And that is, then that starts in itself another circle of doubt. And that's with somebody where my self-esteem is con constantly on a knife edge and you think, something like this happens and you can't you, you just look at yourself and think well what did I do was it me that's like my default setting unfortunately and it's very hard to get out of and I'm angry I'm angry because whether he had had an illness for a long time or somebody should have told me and it's like it was so easy to track down, hopefully, the updated, you know, uh, and I hope they are the current addresses of 
my uncles and auntie that I found online. And I just think how easy it was that. We've got social media now, which is... Although, you know, I do... Um, I am quite private in terms of my own private social media platforms. I'm not that difficult to find. And the, the kicker here is... One of my cousins follows me on Instagram. So I'm not saying he could have dropped me a DM or anything, but he could have said, look, what's your number? I need to contact you. Or did you know this has happened? Or or anything. It was that complete sort of blackout of being informed. And, you know, it's kind of, I've got everything riding on these letters now. Whether I get a response or not is is another question. Um, I've sent them out today, so they probably will be with their respective recipients by the end of the week. So I'm either expect, you know, like I said, it can go one of three ways. I'll either get an aggressive response, a pleasant, neutral response, or I'll get no response at all. Even if I get the abusive response, it's some sort of response, isn't it? And I'll know where the land lies then. And I can cut ties with the rest of the family. I don't want to. I don't want to. I. But then, that might be out of my hands. And I'm, I'm too exhausted to be chasing around people saying, love me and be my friend. I've done that most of my life and I'm done chasing people now. It's not, I've got the people in my life that want to be in my life, whether that's friends, family or acquaintances, whoever. I'm done with chasing people now and I just think, hopefully I'll get some form of answer. Who knows? But I would be more than happy to share if I do get response, I'll be more than happy to share that on a, a later episode. Um, just to sort of see, see what happens. But for now, I'm still very much in this kind of sort of no nowhere land, I guess, between life going on and moving forward and keeping that devil off my shoulder and part of me thinking I, I should I should be grieving now I should feel sad I should feel this I should feel that and nothing's happening it's apart from these occasional waves of sadness and a little bit of anger I can't process it it's like it's happened to somebody else could be the shock and the denial kind of stages but I just don't want it to come and sneak up and bite me on the ass at the most inopportune moment, which is probably going to happen. And if I keep moving forward too quickly, it is going to come and hit me like a freight train. I know it is. And I worry, I worry about that. I worry that how long I can keep myself going, how long I can keep the pace up. But I've also got responsibilities. And if it means having to put these feelings on the shelf for now, then so be it. But eventually I've got to deal with this. I've got to take it off the shelf and unpack it and and deal with what's what's going on here. 
It's just so, it's just not normal. And it's either a very tactless oversight or it's a very nasty, intentional exclusion. And I hope nobody out there has had to go through this. Because it's awful, because I feel like I... I feel a bit of an imposter at the moment because I feel like I should be feeling differently to how I feel now. And at the moment, I feel kind of numb to it. And hopefully over time I can accept what's happened, grieve, find some closure and move on. But I'm trying not to put all my eggs in one basket when it comes to these letters because I may never, ever get a response. Or certainly not a response I want. <laughs> so, so apologies. It's been quite a low and sad one tonight. Um, and a lot of, a lot of triggers there and a lot of conflicting emotions, I guess. Um, but we shall see. And... Um, Time, as they say, is a great healer, so we shall see. And I'll hopefully post again soon, um, and I'll keep you updated on this sort of situation, how it unfolds, if it unfolds at all. Um, but my love always, please stay safe, keep talking, and just remember you're not alone in this, okay? Lots of love. Good night. <laughs>